Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. 
Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Now entered the house of mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro. David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on KCP, 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and of course I'm Al Warren. Why wouldn't I be? And we've got Mr. David North Martino here. Hey, Alan. How you doing? I am fancy, delicious, tasty. That is absolutely the truth. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you have to say that. But um, That's right. Yeah. No, <laughs> well, things are good. Things are good. And we're getting the uh, podcasts up now. So um, because we've been running over 10 years, so everyone knows that... Uh, um, over ten years, five days a week, we get we have a lot of shows. It's well over a thousand shows that we've uh, organized, and, and there's going to be a separate or inside writing uh, podcast oh, under each category. So, inside writing true crime is now up, and inside writing LGBTQ is now up. It's on all major platforms, as well as the website and uh, yeah, and YouTube. So That's you great. can, yeah. So, so for the for the fans of particular types of shows, this is why we've done it. So you can just go to that type. If you like history, you can go to the history inside writing, and you get all history shows. You don't have to listen to the others. Like it just it. So if you're in the mood for that, and of course, it's still going with House of Mystery, where we do everything, and that's still running as usual, and that um, app and all that stuff is around. So. Um, hopefully that makes it easier for people. That's what we're trying to do. So now today we've got a, a, another great show on. The, what, it's been what a great week. I tell you, it's always good around uh, as it gets toward Christmas and all that. We get some really good writers. Uh, um, now this uh, book is called um, Here I Go Called to Account: Sir Anthony Standen Adventures, and it's book number four. Um, so we've got a series here, and the author is David West. So uh, thank you for coming on the show, David. Thank you, Alan, for having me. And uh, hello again, Dave. Hello, hello. Now, David, this is a four-book series. And first of all, what kind of writer do you consider yourself? Like, what, what kind of genre do you put yourself in if someone asks? Well, the books are historical fiction, Um the, the the first book is also espionage, and the since then the, the the last three books have been crime novels, but they're they're all historical fiction. And so, when you take a when you take um, a character like this, you've got Sir Anthony, and when you're running this kind of a, a, a series, um, there's a certain amount that is truthful, historical, and 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 real. And you add elements to create a an interesting story, I guess, or to to create elements that um, maybe have a different look on the story or add more to it or something. Is that kind of how you describe it? Well, can I can I start with the first book, which is oh, the, sure. the, yeah. the Spy Who Sank the Armada? Um, I discovered Sir Anthony Standen when I was reading a biography of Sir Francis Drake, and in that book. Um, there's a passage that goes something like, there came a time when Sir Francis Walsingham needed more detailed information on the Spanish Armada than he was getting from gossip in Breton taverns relayed to him by the governor of Guernsey. And thanks above to all to Sir Anthony Standen, he got everything he could possibly want. Now, Standen is my mother's maiden name, so I took a, 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 an intense interest in him. And I started off by reading the the entry on him in the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography. And it, it's kind of two pages of A4. And I just thought this is the most incredible story I, I'd ever read. Um, but at key points in that story, 
I kept asking myself, well, why did he do that? And how did he do that? So my my first novel, The, the Spy Who Sank the Armada, is essentially me, my, my fictional whys and hows woven into the known fabric of his life. So so that's the that's the first novel. Um when I when I came to start the audio books, the, the actor that narrated them, Simon Dezeni, he asked me for a cast list. And so I, I went through sort of everybody that has dialogue in the spy who sank the Armada and looking at it, um basically seventy six percent of the characters in the spy who sank the Armada are real characters. So uh, everything they do is real and kind of all the fictional characters are people like innkeepers and so on. So the, the, the first book is as truthful as I can make it with with the answering the why did he do that and how did he do that? When I came to write the second book, I had gifted Sir Anthony a family by, by the end of the first book because I thought, I can I can hand this thing down through the family and keep writing historical fiction. Um, and and my, my way of working has been to go from where one book ends, page forward through history a year at a time, looking for something that grabs me and then building a, building a story around that. Yeah, so that's how I work. Well, it, it's really interesting because I, I find this fascinating because um, here you've got someone that's um, – known and part of a you know distant family members yeah and and you've got things that that he's he's accomplished or done and um i guess what i'm fascinated about is do you come up with an idea of where you want to take him so like after the first book and the sinking uh do you did you in book two start to kind of go well this is what i want him to do or this is where i want him to see like how does that develop well, the when I was paging forwards through history, I got to, I think it was 1605 and 1607. And the first thing that grabbed my attention was um, the, the, the execution of Giordano Bruno, a philosopher, um, for um, the heresy of believing that the, the earth revolved around the sun rather than the sun around the earth. Um, there were there were other reasons, uh, political reasons attached to it as well, but that was the, that was the that was what he was tried for. Um, and a couple of and, and a little just a, a few years after that, I found that Pope Paul V hired an assassin to murder um, Paolo Sarpi, a Venetian cleric and 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 um, and scientist and philosopher. Um, and I thought, wow, I I, I didn't know that. You know, a pope had hired an assassin to murder this guy. And there was so much conflict there. There was the conflict between um, faith and reason and, 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 the, and the conflict between, um, you know, the Vatican and, and, and Venice. Um, so, you know, I, I built on that conflict and um, it became a two part novel because I, I, I came up with the idea that um, there, there, there was somebody murdering priests by burning them in their churches, and Sir Anthony gets hired to try and track down who this murderer is. But then he finds that um, once they've solved that, that, that series of murders and have, have caught this guy, that the Pope then hires the assassin's assistant to go and kill Sarpi. So it was a, you know, um, the guy who we thought was the... Uh, the monster turns out to have not been such a bad guy at all, and and the Pope who hired Sir Anthony to to track down the murderer turns out to be um, probably even worse. I, I would think, but when you're covering these sort of topics, you would um, how do I say? Do you, do you try to censor how how you approach these types of events in your books? I mean, because like you know, in the last years, things have been so. I don't know, a little bit nutty offshore, you know, with people talking, you know, about politics and religion and things like that. It doesn't take much to get someone to go off these days Mm -hmm. um, and get angry. So when you bring into uh, something like this where you have a pope um, hiring an assassin hitman, there's going to be people that are going to say, wow, that's not true, or how could you, you know, that sort of thing, right? 
Well, well, well that, that, that's a matter of fact. Um, well, that it, doesn't seem to matter. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, no, I, I, I haven't really sensed anything. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't use swear words within the books. Um, I try to, I mean, the, any, any, any sex scenes are, 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 are you know, are, are no worse than a Bond novel or a Bond, um, a Bond film. Um, I, I don't really censor anything. I don't think I'm. I, I don't think I'm in the kind of danger of Salman Rushdie, but um, you never know. No, probably not quite at that that level. You might say, but it's just in typical. Yeah. You know, um, uh, more. It's not even so much dangerous and just backlash on online and stuff like that. People saying, "Oh, you know, he he just hates Catholics," or you know, people just they're kind of nutty these days. No, the the only the only comment I've had on on Twitter, I think, was um, it was it was an online book club thing where you know they were tweeting about Fire and Earth, the second book, which which is which is the one about um, the Pope hiring an assassin, and um, I think one of the reviewers had said that you know it, it would it would make you make you think about you know your faith, and um, somebody said. I've got very set views about my my faith, so I don't want to question them. So I'm not going to read the book. Well, fair enough, you know. I'm not nobody's yeah. forced to read yeah, the book. Of course. of course. What what's your what's your research like when you do stuff like this? Because you're 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 using so much of of the history and timing and stuff. Um, it must it must be quite a process. And how much time does it take you to do uh, even just one of the books? Oh, a, a, an immense amount of research. Yes, um, I'm. I'm quite fortunate because I, I don't know if you've heard of something called JSTOR. It's it's a, the J stands for journal. It, it's it's a uh, it was it was it was built in the United States, in fact, and it's 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 a it's a an, an online platform where every academic journal is stored, every PhD thesis is stored, and so on. Um, and it's accessed by all the universities and through through my old university's um, alumni website, I've got access to JSTOR. So I can start off doing research in the Encyclopedia Britannica or you know on Wikipedia, but then when I want to really dive deeply into the history, if I want to know something like how many physicians were there in Rome in 1610, then I, could, I can usually find out stuff like that in JSTOR. Wow. So what's the time on one of these books? How long How long does it take you to, to accomplish each book? I... Uh, funny enough, I, I think I've worked it out that it's about nine months per book from starting the book to publication. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd, I'd written two books before I published either of them. So, in fact, today is the first anniversary of, of the first two books being published. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Now, uh, it's, uh, you know, when, but when you've done a series like this, um, did you know you were going to do a series like when you started book one and you yeah. were doing the original, was it in your mind to follow up and do two, three, four more books? Um, not initially, but um, without without too much of a spoiler, in the first book, well, it's history anyway, so Sir Anthony Standen was um, imprisoned in the Tower of London um, and it, we, it was thought that he would never be released. I've, I've read sort of um, reports from Venetian ambassadors held by the British Library saying that, you know, Sir Anthony has been taken to the Tower of London and will never be seen again. He was, in fact, released. Um, Anne of Denmark, um, King James's wife, um, pleaded for him to be released. And he was. And he was given licence to travel in Europe. He, he, had to, he had to leave England. He could go to Europe anywhere apart from Rome, and he went to Rome. Um, so I thought, well, why, why would you go somewhere that you were forbidden to go unless, unless that was just your nature? And so I decided maybe he had a love interest in Rome or, or in Italy. And uh, that made me think, well, yeah, what, what about if, 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 if he'd met this girl in Florence when he was there um, and fell desperately in love with her, but, but events just kept, kept them apart? And then he was locked up. And how does he get back? Um, I thought, well, you know, maybe he can have a family. So, uh, so, and then having the family, I thought, well, I can just keep writing this series, you know, until I run out of history or history runs out of me. With each of these books, um, when you write them, 
do you, do you hope that people get something out of them besides the actual history and maybe some of the entertainment value and stuff? Is there, is there sort of a subtext or some sort of a, um, something that you want people to take away from each book? Um, yes. The, the second book, Fire and Earth, um, that is really all about the conflict between faith and reason. Um, I, I, I looked it up uh, yesterday. Did you know that it was only 30 years ago on the 1st of November? So it's just 30 years ago that, that basically the Catholic Church accepted that the, the earth revolved around the sun rather than the other way around and that they, they got it wrong with Galileo. Um, I've, you know, I, I've, that, 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 that I found quite shocking. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the, the second book is all about the conflict between faith and reason. And so many things came together to make that book. I mean, a, a, a very good friend of mine, his, his wife died really quite young. Um, and he contacted me and said, you know, is, is there, you know, did we have an immortal soul? And I, I didn't really know how to, how to answer him, but I, I said, well, Rennie Descartes said, you know, we, we do. And, um, I've forgotten the name of the Oxford philosopher. Oh, Gilbert, Gilbert, um, Ryle. Um, he came up with the phrase, the ghost in the machine. In other words, you know, it's, it's a machine. And when the machine dies, the, you know, the ghost in it dies as well. Um, my friend decided that, um, Rene Descartes must have been a very smart guy. So he believes there isn't an immortal soul. But, but that, that, that's what, that's what that book is about. The, the third book, is called The Suggested Assassin. The Me Too thing was going on at the time that I was writing that, or it was at his peak at the time I was writing that. Um, I just thought, yeah, I can make this book all about misogyny and gender inequality. So, um, so that's the theme of that book. And the Call to Account, the one that is, is, is very recently published, um, I was doing my paging forward through history, and I got to um, 1612, uh, where I found the, the, the event that caught my attention was um, a pogrom in Frankfurt. So I thought, wow, yes, um, racism, sort of anti-Semitism. This is, this, is, this is what the third book is, uh, sorry, the fourth book is, no, that was, yeah, that's what the fourth book is all about. So, yeah, anti-Semitism takes the centre stage for um, representing racism and, and hate crime in general. Well, I'm wondering, how, how do you organise all of this research, especially when you have to bring it through and have these threads through, throughout these mini novels? Do you have a process? Do you have tools? How, how do you do that? Uh, I use Scrivener Me too. Um, as my basic, basic writing platform. So um, it, every, every PDF that I've downloaded from JSTOR, every, every website link, uh, if I want to make notes, um, all of that goes into the research binder in, in, in Scrivener so that I can keep referring back to it. Um, I'm actually changing that approach a little bit on the book that I'm currently writing, and I'm, I'm going back to an old-fashioned notebook um, because my main research tool in this one is a, a biography of Louis XIII of France uh, written by Elizabeth uh, Marvick. Now, where did, where did your writing um, come from for you? Like, um, when did it start for you? How did you become a writer? What was it that uh, happened that made you decide, this is what I want to do? Okay, well, um, a colleague of mine at work, I, I worked in engineering and project management and, and risk management, and a colleague of mine had been um, asked to do a, a talk to the Institute of Risk Management on um, procurement risk, and he said, would I like to... To, to help him and speak with him so i said yeah okay so we so we gave this presentation and my colleague was then contacted by a chap called jonathan norman who was the publishing editor of gower publishing um, and asked him if he'd like to write a book on on procurement risk and he said that no he wouldn't like to write a book on anything um, but that i might so um, jonathan norman came to take came to meet with me and I said, well, I probably could write a book on procurement risk, but I'm, I would be much more interested in writing a book on project sponsorship. That's essentially the management of a project from the client's point of view rather than the, the project, project team's point of view. 
And uh, he said, OK, well, write me a, um, an author's proposal and I'll put it to the board. And uh, he did that. And I think I think the point that swung it was I discovered that there were 37,000 books on project management and one book on project sponsorship at that point. So I got to write the book on project sponsorship. And um, the thrill of this box of books arriving with my name on it was um, was quite something. And I was already a, a bit of an open university junkie. That's a, that's the, the, the UK's distance learning university. I'd done an MBA with them and I'd been an associate lecturer with them. And, and I, I'd, I'd done a degree in modern languages. So I, I decided to do um, the creative writing course. And uh, I was, I think the, the first assignment I wrote for my tutor, he, he sort of said, I think I've got about 67% for it. And he said, well, it's good, but what's the point of this book? And I said, well, I don't know. And I was watching a quiz program called University Challenge that we have over here. And um, one of the questions was, who wrote the seven basic plots or why we tell stories? And I thought, well, I don't know, but I need that book. So I read that book, bought it, read it. And the next assignment I wrote got something like 98 percent. And I entered it in a short story competition and um, it, it was published in an anthology of short stories. And then shortly after that was when I was reading the biography of Sir Francis Drake and discovered Sir Anthony Standen and thought, yeah, I, 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 I need to write this guy's story, you know, because he was James Bond of his age. Why is he not more well known? And um, I started writing it. I made the mistake of starting from his childhood and I just got hopelessly lost. And then when the COVID lockdown came along, I thought, what do I do? I've got unfinished business with Sir Anthony Standen. So I started writing the book and, and I, I, I recognised my mistake. I thought you need to start in the middle of the action, not 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 from childhood. So I started in the middle of the action and, and then the book started to flow. So that's how it all started. That's how it all began. What do you, what do you find yeah. the, the, the um, most challenging part of writing a book like this is? Well, I don't know if it's – no, the research isn't challenging. The research is the, is the, is the biggest grind. It's the, the hardest it's, – it's the, it's the most intense phase. But once you start writing, I mean, I, I, in Scrivener, I, you know, I, 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 I flesh out a chapter structure. So, you know, I, I put, the, put, the, put, put, put about 15 chapters in outline and just – try and think about what's going to happen in each chapter. I mean, I know what the beginning's probably going to be like and I know what the end's probably going to be like. And then it's a question of how you, how you get from the beginning to the end, going through all the various stages. Well, I'm wondering, too, how do you get into the mind of these historical people uh, to make them into, into characters? Um, just reading everything I possibly can about them... Um, and I guess every person you've, you know, I've ever met in my life, um, you know, maybe I, I steal a bit from from many of them. But uh, one of the hardest bits actually was in the in the second book, Fire and Earth. Um, I have I have Sir Anthony teamed up with a, a Earl Hugh O'Neill, who was a leader of the Irish uprising against Queen Elizabeth's um, reign. Uh, and Anthony went to to fight with the Earl of Essex against Hugh O'Neill's army. Um, so I had so I had an Irish character, and I read a lot about how to how to how to write in Irish, not 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 not, not in the Irish language, but how to write in a sort of an Irish way of speaking. And did a lot of research on that, and that and that's quite hard, um, forcing yourself to write in this slightly different way. And um, when I certainly when I got to the end of Fire and Earth, I thought, right, I'm I'm not I'm not having any more Irish characters in my books. <laughs> love, love them as I do. Trying to trying to write um, in that style proved very difficult. And some of the reviews sort of said, you know, it it it, it, it was difficult to, to 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 follow this Irish sort of speaking to begin with. But people got used to it, I guess. Now that you've done uh, the work on this. Um... How how do you describe um, Sir Anthony? Like how do you how do you um, 
what what kind of a character was he um well he was he was full of inner conflicts he um he was a, he was a, he was a catholic at a time when he was spying on catholics um in a in a protestant you know he, and he was doing that for the protestant queen um he he was a tall man by all accounts um and he uh what's the what's the word i'm looking for he i think he liked the, the sound of his own voice did too much talking and not enough listening he certainly when when he came back from ireland um he uh he went straight to king james because elizabeth had died um james had become king and anthony's first job was in fact a as master of horse to Lord Darnley. And he went with Lord Darnley to Edinburgh when Darnley married Mary, Queen of Scots. And when Darnley's uncle killed uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, his secretary, David Rizzio, um, by Anthony's own account, he saved the life of Mary, Queen of Scots. And because she was pregnant with James at the time, um, he was able to say that he'd saved James's um, life. And, 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 Sir Anthony was given the job of carrying the news of James's ascension to the throne across Europe. So he visited all the European um, kings and queens and princes and, and the Pope delivering that news. And the reports that came back from the Europeans were that, you know, he, he, um, he enjoyed their hospitality rather too much and was rather, rather boring and oafish. Um, Maybe it runs in the family. <laughs> well, speaking of that, I, I think you alluded to the fact that uh, you're related to uh, Sir Anthony. Am I correct about that? And how did you find out about that? Um, that's right, because Stanton is my mother's maiden name. So from the very beginning, I, I, I wondered if maybe there was a, was a connection. And um, I just went working my way back on ancestry um, when I was between books, um, carefully checking, you know, um, dates and siblings and and all that sort of thing and when i got back to um edmund um standen and found rather than a you know a portrait or a, or a photograph there was a coat of arms and then it said that he lived in east molsey and i knew from the Oxford dictionary of national biography that standen was from east molsey um i knew i'd found the the right guy so um, basically my 10th great-grandfather is Anthony's younger brother, also an Edmund. Um, yeah, so that was, that, was, that was really exciting. Must um, change your life somewhat when you find out something like that, right? Yeah. I mean, I, in terms of writing, you know, it's, um, you talk about the characters, but, you know, they're, they're, they're not just characters. A number of them are my family. So, um, well, one, one of them is my family. The, the, um, there, there are actually a few... Um, in the first book, uh, my 10th great-grandfather appears, Edmund, Anthony's younger brother, and I didn't know the name of Edmund's wife, but I had a, I had a meeting between Anthony and, and Edmund's wife, and um, her name, well, I, ma I made her name up, I called her Anne. But then through the, re the ancestry research, having actually found um, my great 10th great-grandfather and i found that his wife's name was dennis which apparently was a very common woman's name back in those days but i thought i can't call her dennis so i, I decided to change her to denise so i had to change the manuscript um, to denise well you never know right <laughs> <laughs> well, do, do you feel an extra responsibility in your portrayal of of these you know, uh, semi-fictional uh, real-life characters, basically, because of the family connection? Uh, not really. I mean, I feel a, I feel a connection to them. Um, so I feel that there's, you know, there's, there, there's some element of, you know, DNA that we share in common. So I, I try and think how I would react in, in the situations that, that they're in. Um, but what I, what I try to be as faithful to as I possibly can be is, is, is history. You know, um, if, if a piece of history is inconvenient, you know, then that's, that's just too bad. I, I have to live with it and, and work my way around it. Well, um, 
So let's let's get to the real dirt here. There's got to be some gossip <laughs> or something you found out about your family here that you know that you were surprised about or you didn't realize. Uh they're obviously just with British royalty. <laughs> <laughs> when when um, Sir Anthony first becomes a spy and is first working for Francis Walsingham, he is sent to um, Flanders, where you know there's a there's a major war going on between Protestants and Catholics in Flanders, um, and he is actually uh, caught in flagrante delicto with Barbara von Blomberg, who was the mistress of. Emperor Charles V of the Holy Roman Empire, um, and was the um, basically the the mother of um, Don Juan, Duke of Austria. Now, the Duke of Austria, uh, this Don Juan, became Duke of Austria. I'm sorry, no, it was Duke of Austria, but became the governor of Flanders um, whilst Antony was having an affair with Barbara von Blomberg. So he became rather when he, when he came to visit his long lost mother, um, he discovered um, them in, you know, in flagrante delicto and chased Anthony halfway across Europe as far as Constantinople. Each book in itself does stand alone, right? You don't have to start at number one, or you probably should to get the whole essence of the story. But each book does have its own story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've written them as if they're standalone books. And if there's any history that you need to know, um, from an earlier book, then I just feed it in gently. Um, yeah, so they can be read in any order. And and so how many more do you plan to do or do you? As I said earlier, my intention is to write until I'm either no longer able to write or um, or I've run out of history. Um, I don't think I'll possibly run out of history if I'm jumping forward about two or three years at a time at the moment. Yeah, I guess it's kind of... Is there any other story that you'd want to write or any other people that you want to write about is in the same sort of uh, genre, you know, doing historical or historical fiction in that sort of area? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just really enjoying the journey of, you know, finding, finding all these interesting characters as I go along. Um, and, yeah, no, I think, I think I'll stick with the, the series I'm on um, because, as I say, you know, if, if the, if the generations continue, they can keep passing on the, the skills they've learned of sort of lockpicking and crypto analysis and languages and so on. And uh, I, can, I, I can just go where I want to go. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really a, it's a vast area to, to go into. Um, well, so how does each book change you, do you think? So when you get through researching and putting together writing and, get in, and it gets out there published, how do you think it changes you? Um, I hope I've become a, a slightly better better writer after each book. Um, I, I, I get each each book makes you think about things. I mean, um, Fire and Earth. You know, I, I, you know, I was brought up in the Christian faith, um, but it it made me really think about faith and and and, and what it means. And um, I, I suppose that. The best way of describing my faith now would be, I guess, Taoism is, a, is about as close as uh, as I'd get to having having a having a, a belief concept or a, at least a rationale for, for for what the universe is and where it's come from. But um, yeah, you learn something from every book, you, and, and I'm just learning about history. And I mean, I I, I was I was you know I'm, I, I was educated through science and mathematics and engineering. Um, didn't really get too interested in history other than the Second World War because my father was in it. Um, but it, it's, I just find it fascinating now. Can't get enough of it. Well, you mention in the description of the book, uh, forensic science, I should say, is mentioned. And uh, what was the forensic yeah. science like at that time in history? Um, the, I, I, I don't think there was really that much, but... I was I was wondering whether I could get a microscope into the into the into the story, and in the research that I did, I found that there was a um, an optician in it was either Amsterdam or Antwerp, probably probably Amsterdam, who had invented an early type of of, of microscope, but 
he kept it rather secret because on the side his sideline was forgery <laughs> um so so he was using this this microscope his name was jansen and he was using this microscope to aid aid him in forgery and as one of the one of the characters in in this fourth book um is is a doctor and com comes from amsterdam i thought well it's entirely possible that he will have known possibly being the physician of this this forger optician fellow I and mean, if, if, if he was an optician you know then he might know the doctor um so i thought well this guy can have taken the, the microscope the, or the jansen scope as i call it in the book and and have used it in his study of um botany and herbs and and all sorts of stuff so that's that's where the that's where the um, forensic science comes in I, I, I try and get him to use this early microscope to find out what the uh, what the type of flower is that's that's or what what the what what it is that's on a murder victim's clothing, which is dough. Um, sorry, that's a spoiler, but um, <laughs> but it's dough, but a particular type of dough. So I have I have the the, the doctor going through all his samples of specimens he's taken and looking at them under this early microscope and trying to find out what the, what the strange substance is. Do you find it um, difficult to create and write the relationships between these characters? Because in, in a way, you know some of them, uh, and some of them you don't. Some of them are yeah. created. But, um, you know, just the, um, the individual, you know, uh, things that each each character has any you know twerps that they have the things that they um they they like and don't like and feel and and react and all that stuff do you, do you find it difficult to kind of create that sort of atmosphere and make it real is that kind of the hardest part yeah i, su I suppose it is i mean it takes a lot of it takes a lot of writing and then rewriting and then rewriting again and um i I, I'm enormously blessed to have my wife Claire helping me because when I've written the first draft, she'll she'll take it and then she'll go through it and she'll ask me questions about you know you know she wouldn't really say that or you know would she and wouldn't she and I rely upon her encyclopedic knowledge of the Jane Austen novels and all the um, Georgette Hare novels to help me with the romance parts. But uh, and other things that she's done, she said, look look at this bit here. You've 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 spoken for, you know, half a paragraph about what Sir Anthony is wearing. But then um, his daughter Maria comes through the door and he says, you look fabulous, um, but you haven't described what she's wearing. So, you know, describe what she's wearing. So, yeah, Claire, Claire puts me on the straight and narrow um, a lot of the time. Yeah, I, I would say so in a sense that because when you're writing with characters and even even the ones we do know, sort of, you kind of know them in a two-dimensional you're not not as three-dimensional as as someone you yeah. you've met so it's kind of guesswork on some of the personality you know even yeah. even with uh, you know newspapers and articles you kind of have to go kind of, well and and kind of try to put together how they would act or react and and work with yeah. each other i would think developing a relationship with characters would be the toughest in in this this particular genre yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, it just takes a lot of a lot of research into every character, and I go as far back, you know, into their childhood as I, as I possibly can, just to discover, you know, what what's made them how they are. I mean, I, I told you earlier on that I'm reading um, Elizabeth Marvick's biography of Louis the Thirteenth, and I'm finding out so much stuff only 12 pages in about a character that I've written about in the, in the third book. And I haven't found anything that changes it yet, but, but Louis XIII was only one day old when his personal physician decided that he, he wasn't suckling properly um, from his wet nurse. And so he called in a surgeon to sever three membranes at the, at the base of his tongue. Um, and you think, you know, how, how, what sort of, you know, what on earth was the physician thinking? Although apparently that was a, quite a common practice at the time. But the effect 
it must have had on a on a, on a one day old child having surgery like that, you know, unnecessary surgery to his tongue. Um, just beggar's belief, and I'm, I'm finding out much more very horrifying stuff as I as I go on. That it, it's 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 really it's really making me think about you know Louis the Louis the Thirteenth, and um, of course he's he's the he's the king who forms you know has has. Cardinal Richelieu was his advisor, so we're we're moving towards um, three musketeers territory now. So uh, it's going to get going to get interesting. Yeah, because that that makes it real. Uh, you know, yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering, are you the type of writer? Can, can you hear the characters in your head? Do you have an inner monologue? I'm just wondering how you create dialogue, and yeah. maybe you're pulling from actual dialogue that's been put into the historical record as well. Um, there, there's there's a, a small amount of historical dialogue, but um, you know when I started writing historical fiction, I thought you know do I try and write in Shakespearean English? And I think no, nobody would nobody would be able to read it. So um, so I I just try and imagine the sort of character that the person is and what their station in life is, and so how they might react and speak to the other character that they're with so you know i i think about politicians i might have worked with or senior civil servants or you know road sweepers or bricklayers or whatever and think well how would these type of people have spoken to each other who 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 influences you as a writer oh the writers that well i would say ian fleming because you know sir anthony standon is the bond of his his day and i, I read all the bond books when i was young um uh dennis wheatley uh do you know dennis wheatley no i don't think so he's he's most well known for a series of sort of occult books with a hero called the duke de richelieu um but he's written a couple of books which um basically are, are, are my type of books because they take um fictional characters and place them in in real events um one of which is the the, the build up to the first world war and the other one is the is the the, the run up to the the Spanish Civil War, um, and and those those books were in 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 English schools back in the 1950s. They were sort of in certain schools had them as course books to read in order to understand how the First World War started or to understand how the Spanish Civil War started. So I've used that style of you know basically trying to tell history with fictional characters. Um, then C.J. Sansom, um, I, I love his books. So if I could be considered as kind of a mashup of Ian Fleming, um, Dennis Wheatley and C.J. Sansom, then that would be uh, that would be flattery indeed. Well, yeah. there you have it. You can have it all. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Now, do you um, have a website and you do social media for readers and fans and people interested in your writing? And if so, uh, where do they find you? Uh, yeah, my, my website is um, www.davidvswest.co.uk. So that's David VS, V for Victor, S for Spencer, west.co.uk. Um, and the links to my Twitter and Facebook are at the bottom of that page. I, I could perhaps give you my facebook address but um it's got a number and i can't remember what well it's easy we can uh, actually we'll have that posted up on us uh so people can find it with one click and stuff like that and uh so um what's next uh well as i say the um third book the suggested assassin left us with some unfinished business in paris with prince louis who will become uh, louis the 13th um, so I'm reading the biography of him, and I'm I'm I'm, look, I'm hoping that I'll find, you know, enough in there um, to make a book. If that doesn't happen, then I'll have to think about something else. How how was the um, pandemic for you and for your writing situation? Does are you the type of writer that um, um, kind of it, it kind of gets shut down when things like pandemic or when things are kind of wild or stressful around you, or can you just write no matter what? Uh, no, I just, I just, I just, I just had a great pandemic. I had the, the time of my life. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was able, to, I was able to totally occupy myself writing, and then when I needed some exercise, I'd go out for a walk, and you could cross the 
across the dual carriageway with barely having to look for any cars or lorries or trucks or anything. And, and um, yeah, I just love the, 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 the full shutdown. Um, but I'm happy enough that it's over. Um, I can play golf again, so it means I have less writing days because I play golf on Mondays and Thursdays. And that's important. Oh, yeah. No, it's just it's, it's, I always find it interesting to see because some writers can cannot be um, can just not focus and can't write when there's stress and intense things going on, and and others are just not a problem. Yeah. Um, no, I mean I, I I had a couple of whiskeys too many last night when I I, I, I when I when I heard <laughs> when I when I was listening to the possibility that Russia might have launched missiles at a NATO country and thinking, oh right, okay, are we going to wake up in the morning? Um, well, that's what that's what whiskey's for, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, uh, Dave has that even if he doesn't hear it. Right. Yes. Like, they don't. Yeah, I just that. pretend <laughs> and have another whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. It's certainly been a pleasure. Certainly very interesting, a very interesting subject indeed. And and we're glad you had time to come on the show. And of course, uh, we were talking about uh, called to account, which is the book four yeah. in the in the Sir Anthony Standen Adventures books. And uh, the author is our guest, David West. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much indeed for having me, Alan and and, and Dave. Thanks, David. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.